2: Hello and welcome to Rainstock Play. We're here to review the first test match between England and New Zealand. Plenty of stories coming out of that and we're going to try and round it up all for you in the next hour or so. Uh, I'm joined by Glenn and Tim today. Uh, Glenn, how are you? Yeah, doing pretty well,
3: thank you. It's it's very hot in, uh, in Wyoming today and I just turned off the air conditioning so we can record this. So you're going <laughs> to see me get gradually sweatier and sweatier as the hour progresses.
2: It really is a shame this is a podcast, isn't it? Because viewers or well, listeners won't be able to see you pass out at about the 50 minute mark as it gets um, particularly hot. Uh, Tim, how are you? It's not it's not so hot in the UK today, but it's nice, isn't it? It's comfortable.
0: Yeah, no, it's OK, actually. And it's been sunny enough um, through last week. I was off last week and so actually first first couple of swims in the sea of the year, which was quite nice. Cold, but it was nice. Yeah,
2: that's still nice. So that that's the weather update brought to you by Rainstock Play uh, in the various places we are uh, in the country. Um, so, yeah, like I said, a lot of news coming out this week. We're going to tackle um, Ollie Robinson's tweets and, and racism within the ECB very shortly, then get on to the test match itself. Obviously, there's some great cricket to talk about. But first, a little bit of news. And it's it's never a podcast with Tim on if we don't chat about the counter championship um, and another exciting week, Tim, as we go into a, 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 four, a, a four week break. Um, talk us through some of the most significant results from, from the past week and then some sort of individual performances as well.
0: Yeah, it's been um, a kind of uh, an interesting week because there was um, a fair bit of play lost, like, obviously, at Lords. So then also affected matches around the country, which is a shame because it it's been pretty good apart from the one day which was a crucial part of the Test match and the County Championship. Yeah. Um, however, however, there were some, some big results. Um, Glamorgan beat Lancashire, which was uh, a big result in that one, in that it kind of pulled Glamorgan up to within a chance, it looked like, because at the point Glamorgan won on the Saturday, it looked like Yorkshire might very well lose to Sussex or potentially draw. Um it also looked like for a while that you know, Northampton seemed to be in quite a strong position, but the weather kind of wiped out the day, so that kind of took that match into a draw. Um so Glamorgan winning at Lancashire was a pretty big one because that was Lancashire being kind of fairly strong at the top of the group three, and it just tightened that group up, which has been one of the ones that we when we last time we spoke, at Lancashire and Yorkshire nailed on to go through. But in mm-hmm. fact, it looks like Lancashire will. But there is a chance. Of two matches to go. There is a chance, admittedly a smallish one, that Northampton, if they really did well, could pull it pull it out of the bag and take over one of the other two. And Glamorgan, they really needed that. They really needed that Yorkshire match to end up as a draw or a defeat, ideally for Yorkshire, to, because they were a little bit further behind. In group the top group with um, the Yorkshire, Essex, and Knox, and Worcestershire, Derbyshire. Apart from Derbyshire, who've Kind of like strung at the bottom, and probably Worcestershire now kind of put themselves out of it because Durham had another crushing win. We spoke last time at length actually about Durham and yes. of in performances, and they've just kept on going. And it's with that group. I'm more surprised that Durham are actually fourth in that group because they've had a really good run of form. Um, and it's so tight that there are in in Group One. There is nine points between Durham, Nottingham, Essex and Worcestershire. So it really could be any two of the four that get
2: through. And I mean, that group's been separated by about 10 points all season, hasn't it? I think even from our first review pod, maybe two or three match weeks in, that thing was was so close and I can't really call it. Unfortunately, my my Worcestershire shout from a few pods (laughs) ago, which was a little bit out there on a limb. Yeah, it is dead in the water now, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But yeah, amazing to see Durham doing so well again.
0: Yeah, and it's um, Essex, actually, for the champions. I touched on this last time as well, that we have a really strong team, but I did kind of think maybe that particular unit, that strong team, is coming to the end of it, possibly the end of its road. Well, they've actually, I mentioned the nine-point spread, but Essex have played a game more than anybody else. So they've only got a game left. So potentially, there's every chance they won't make it true, but being Essex, there's every chance they will somehow.
2: Yeah, exactly, um, exactly.
0: And and then, and then they, they they kind of they were affected by the weather at transfer. so that ended in a draw with not. So it's you know that could have been a fair that that could have been a really pivotal match, um, but the weather kind of held it back there really. The one that was perhaps the key match, just sort of jumping around, I realised, But Yorkshire, most the most exciting match was Yorkshire Sussex because that did seesaw. It looked like Yorkshire on top it, towards the start of the match. Sussex pulled themselves right back in and. You know, it looked, it, it looked like then they would be able to save the match on the Sunday. Look, they're going to quite comfortably save the match, having put, you know, they appear to be in a position where there's no chance of doing that. And then they somehow contrived to lose, I think it was some, something like six wickets for about five runs in I'm, the match. I'm so just
2: looking at the scorecard now because I, I, I switched this off my radar toward the end of the day because I thought, right, draw, yeah. great game, everyone everyone fought well. And yeah... Um, from 180 for four to 215 all out pretty brutal collapse but you know david Willey took a lot of those wickets don Bess, who will come on to took a four for um that's huge for yorkshire in that in that group you talk about lankshire um and Darren milan with 199 perhaps he could be on england watch as well uh zach who's not with us this week he's on holiday said. He was on the land watch, but I'm I'm not so keen, personally.
0: It was a big big win for Yorkshire, and you can see that. I did did just catch the last part. I did watch the last few overs, and I was kind of hoping that Sussex would do it just to make that group more interesting. But Yorkshire, they they got over the line, they were obviously delighted. Um, And then in the Somerset group, or group two, as it might be known, Somerset have actually got themselves to the top with 119 points.
2: There you Um, go. I don't think which, I don't think you'd have called that a few weeks ago. Potentially,
0: no. And and they the match this weekend against Hampshire, which I did watch quite a bit of. I was am not doing that and the Test match all simultaneously but all the time. The um, Somerset did their usual collapse. And honest to goodness, Tom Abel was in in the fifth over and in both innings again. <laughs> it's incredible. It must yeah. be some sort of record. It must be. He's not the <laughs> county championship innings where he's come in after the tenth over and he's back three. I mean. It's incredible. Um, but he, he batted really well, as usual, um, got a crucial 98. Really unlucky not to get a century, he deserved it. Um, George Bartlett, young player, got a century, and basically they um were able to out outbat and out Bowl Hampshire, um, which was a little bit of a surprise because they had the because they on the first day, they ended up about 25 for five. Um, and at that point, you thought they're going to be in big trouble. But it's the low order. It's almost like it feels like they should reverse the batting order, really, because it's low order that seemed to do it for Somerset and pulled them back in in the first innings. And then, they I say, in the second innings, Abel and Bartlett, you know, two great batting performances um, for Hampshire, Keith Barker bowled really well in the first innings, was basically you know unplayable. I think he ended up in one of those spells of sort of five wickets for about three runs and about ten overs. Um, and he's, he's had a really good season because I've seen him bother a few times now, Hampshire at least, and he's done fantastic. Um, but Somerset, it, it was a shame in a way because it ended up on the Sunday where basically Somerset, Somerset really and. Bit in the test match, really. In the end, they made the decision, we don't want to lose this, basically. We're, we're going to make sure that we get the draw. Um, she so had a slightly curious thing on Saturday night when they were, in theory, setting up a target that they then set in a night watchman rather, when the, the role of Fandom Hoover and Lewis Gregory was sat on the sat in the dressing room, which nobody could explain, including Steve Davis when he asked about it after after the match, post-match interviews, that no one's to come up with a reason why they sent him in. But the next morning, they did thrash it around a bit. And they sent a massive like 450 for Hampshire to win, which we never, was never going to be realistic in the overs available. And also, I don't think anybody really thought they were going to bowl them out because the wicket was fairly docile. And in the end, it, it, it was it all appeared and they went off. But for Somerset's point of view, that's kind of put them in pole position in that group. Um, and for Hampshire, the Gloucestershire should have feet, which was a bit of a shock because they, it wasn't so much they lost because you know they've had a fantastic season and... You know, OK, they've lost Bracey to the Test match. We wouldn't expect them to implode as a team because one play is gone. But they've got absolutely thrashed by young um, Leicestershire, beaten them by an innings and 93 runs. Um, and I just think, it, I'm just going to put that down as a bad day at the office, or sort of four bad days, looks like, really, when you look at it. Um, but it does make it really kind of quite tight um, in that group. Now, Somerset look in a really strong position. They're playing Leicestershire and they're playing Surrey and really a win against Leicestershire at home. Um, in July will be enough, I'm sure. And then it's between Gloucestershire Hampshire and Surrey to see who those last two matches can really kind of keep it together.
2: Yeah, that's it. Um, and brilliant summary there, Tim, because there's a lot to keep up with in County Championship uh, yeah. cricket, a lot to keep up with in County Championship cricket, I find. Um, so, as I said, we're going into a small break now. The blast starts uh, on Wednesday this week, which has come out of nowhere. Um, Group one, you've got Warwickshire and Essex in the top two spots. Somerset and Gloucestershire at the top of group two. And Lancashire and Yorkshire at the top of group three. Every team has two games left, apart from Essex and Worcestershire have one game left for reasons that nobody really knows. But, you know, that's the way the world works, isn't it? So we move on. Um, So, yeah, fascinating. up with. We'll have a full review pod of that uh, when the current championship wraps up. Um, Okay, let's get into the the test match then, boys. Um, A draw, a drawn test match. A fascinating test match for multiple reasons and we do have to start with um, ollie robinson and racism in the ecb and and his tweets um, i'm sure you know about it now i'm just going to briefly run over what's going on but ollie robinson's historic tweets came out i think on the evening of the first day um you know after he bowled pretty well um he had to come out and, and apologize for that since the end of the test match he's been suspended from international cricket pending an investigation into these tweets, uh, that investigation we've done by the ECB. Uh, Robinson's been dropped from the squad for the second test and he leaves the the bubble uh, and will go back to his county, Sussex. So a lot has been said about this. Um, and just, I just kind of want to preempt this chat by the fact that we are three white dudes. And I think what we have to say about this is probably... Not as important as, as other, you know, good, high quality journalists who will sort of link out when, when we tweet this episode out. So, you know, bear that in mind. But obviously, boys, we've got to kind of, you know, have a chat about it and, and say our piece on it. So, Glenn, I mean, I'll come to you first. Um, what do you think about this whole situation? I mean, what do you think about uh, the move by the ECB um, to, to ban Robinson from international cricket? or sorry, suspend him by pending this investigation? um What do you think about England's moment of unity on on the morning of the first day? Um, And how do you think it's going to look going forward?
3: Yeah, thanks for that uh, brief summary, Dan. Yeah, I think it's basically immensely disappointing for everybody involved in cricket, you know, from the players to administrators to the fans. What should have been a really triumphant homecoming in a way for fans to be at Lord's, um, which was a big moment. We had, as you rightly said, this this show of unity um, at, the, at the start of the game, which seems to me like a lot of these, um, you know, moments where whether it's taking the knee or whatever it is, or it's wearing the same T-shirts, unless you're going to match that with, you know, actual action by governing bodies, it really is performative. Uh, I think that's important to say. And would you believe it within a few hours of everybody linking arms or or whatever they did do with their matching shirts? You know, these these tweets emerged. And yeah, we I've got a screenshot. I'm sure a lot of cricket fans do of two forty. you know, over 10, probably 10, 12 tweets, you know, put together, collated into one image. And they really are disgusting. I mean, it's worth observing that as well as being deeply racist, they're very sexist as well. Um, A lot of horrible things said about Muslims, um, about women as well. Just a really messy, pretty vile collection of tweets um, that would obviously humiliate anyone, um, uh, whether they're released or not. Um, Or should I say, you know, when they're released publicly, it's just a terrible look for anyone. And yeah, you you get onto the fact that for I mean for Robinson personally, you know we obviously got no sympathy for him, but what again, what should have been an incredible moment for him playing at Lords in front of the cameras in front of friends and family, and it's it's relevant because he did have a very good game, he he was excellent on the pitch. I think that it is part of um, part of this discussion is how well he played. Um, it just completely overshadows that, and obviously now we're going to get onto what the ECB should or shouldn't do. I mean, in my opinion, obviously, action does need to be taken. Uh, but what's immensely worrying is, and we're going to get onto this, obviously, after after Tim's um, said something as well, I'm sure we'll get into a discussion, but... You've got Ollie Robinson, who's been an excellent county player for years now. Um, You've got Craig Overton, who may well be replacing him in the side. So arguably two of the top and I think top wicket takers in the county championship. Both of them have um, said some immensely questionable things. And what strikes me as really interesting is that these are the top two right these are the they're under more scrutiny because they've they've made that transition from county cricket to the national game what about the players who are still playing in the county game but haven't had this level of scrutiny it doesn't strike me as this is a complete coincidence that it's the two best players have said two 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 racist things it's systematic and uh, you know we've talked about you know umpires players um have gone on record in recent years saying that there is a you know a hostile climate to 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 non white players basically within the English cricket game and yeah as i'm saying like you can take a photo wearing a matching shirt it's not going to change anything in the slightest so what is that next step and as you said dan there's he's been suspended pending an investigation um george DeBell i think mentioned that i mean what is there to investigate he said these things as public (laughs) records i don't don't think there needs to be an investigation i think what we all need to agree on is what the punishment should be obviously he's not going to play the next test he probably there's a good chance he won't appear for england again this summer at home so he'll be missing out on a huge india series beyond that i think you've obviously got to talk about education but robinson himself what what do we do i mean there's got to be a level of community service aspects i think um i'm sure tim can mention that we've talked about that together off off air before um basically it's hugely embarrassing and it's a real indictment of, of of racism within the game which can't be denied denied by the ecb
2: yeah yeah, well said, Glenn. I think I, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. I, I don't want to repeat what you said, but it's the, you know, what Robinson said was disgusting and the ban is correct, in my opinion. It's it's what the ECB do next and what they're doing now, actually, which is frustrating me quite a lot in so much as this moment of unity was just a load of rubbish. Now you look at what's, you really, you know, peel back the ECB and look at what they're doing and you've got their top two county stars, um, who have done racist things. Um, you've got issues with uh, Azim Rafiq at Yorkshire. You've got um, the two umpires, John Holder and Ishmael Darwood, who are suing the ECB um, for their treatment while they're working for them. And it just feels like the ECB aren't doing anything. W- what is this investigation going to do? Um, are they going to start teaching their players a little bit better? Because this is a, a regular occurrence now. And no matter what you do to Robinson, I think more, much more needs to be being done and a little bit more out in the open too it all feels a little bit standoffish in the ecb at the minute
3: yeah i just want to add one more thing that just before we went on air minutes before we went on air um wisdom um ben gardner writing for wisdom um uh, they released an article saying that another uh, member of the england team a current member of the squad um posted a racist tweet they they um they held the person's identity they they censored that because the the player was under 16 at the time of the tweet. Uh, it was an anti-Asian tweet. or I don't know, anti. It was it was it was racist sense, very racist sentiment um, addressed towards Asians within this tweet, both using emojis and hashtags. It's horrible. And we don't know the identity of this player. But what seems to be quite clear is that I think that they're currently a member of the England squad, which really does speak to, I guess, what I just mentioned about this isn't just one or two players. This is only because they've been scrutinized. We just found it. If you scrutinize every person in the county game to this level, there'll be tens, if not hundreds more of these things because it's not a coincidence.
2: Do you know what argument annoys me the most are the people who are saying that this he shouldn't be banning Robinson or he was only, you know, um, he was only 18, 19 at the time. Something that Boris Johnson got wrong today, which we we can come on to, is that and I think luckily for England, they've got Joe Root as their captain, who seems pretty switched on to this, in my opinion. Um, People might think differently, but people go, oh, they've dug up tweets. They were always there. He was X age. These tweets shouldn't be out at any point anyway regardless of you know whether you're in the spotlight or not whether you're a cricketer or not whether someone's rooting through your profile or not they just shouldn't be out there so regardless of whether someone's deliberately searched through something to find something i mean that's what good journalism is perhaps finding stuff like that um and i hate that argument and that always seems to be the one at the minute that that people rebut this with is always only x all their old tweets no th- i think that that's missing the point entirely um Tim, I want to come to you on on this. What what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting that the age thing, um, because with children in primary school, we're talking to them about racism. We're talking to them about the fact that what you put out online, once you put it out there, it's gone. You might delete it, you might get rid of it, but you haven't, because once it's been screenshotted by somebody else, and there's enough people with the technical ability to basically backtrack through things unless you, unless you sort of paid some professional companies to kind of completely delete your record, which, you know, most professional sports people aren't going to do. They're going to just delete. People think I've deleted it. That's gone. And it's not. Now, we're, we're, we're saying this to 10 year olds, nine year olds.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: that would have, Ollie Robinson's of the age where he'll have had that going through primary school, yep. going through secondary school. And it's as if the people who are defending him on the age thing, it's as if he's saying, oh, we didn't know what he was doing. He had no idea. He'd have had that, um, talked to him, talked about, assemblies, PSHE lessons. I know it sounds a bit boring, but to say that he had no idea, you know, to say, oh, we wouldn't have known what he was doing, he was only young. He'd have had massive kind of input into that side of life and that kind of development. And he can't, even at that age, doing it he would have he might have done it but he can't turn around and say oh I didn't know it was wrong I didn't know so I think that's kind of one side of it that you know this is something that I think people probably kind of forget that in school you're going over these kind of things all the time and it is talked about and it is taught and the expectations of what constitutes you know reasonable expected standards of behavior in society uh, within school but in the wider society is kind of how you're hammering at home all the time so you know you I don't think he can have an excuse that he didn't understand that that would be inappropriate, that it would be unacceptable in Britain in 2021. Um, and I think, I suppose, that the, the, the harder thing is the fact that it was a length of time from when it happened to an England player. I suppose that's the bit that jars the most, in a way, because it feel like if it had been picked up bit of time and dealt with, which also comes back to the fact that at the time, these things were flying around and you know, they were out there and nobody seem bother, did they you know it's kind of a bit that's a bit of a worry in itself yeah. um that it he was obviously out there in his you know his peer group and nobody felt look that's a bit strong mate because the thing that also got slightly was that i know this like one um tweet from of somebody else yeah okay not excuse me but if it's one tweet one comment and somebody says look i shouldn't have said i'm really you know that's totally not me but unfortunately for Robinson, like seems to be about, you know, there's lots. It's not just one. It's not just two. Yep. There's so many. Um, and I think, in a way, the ECB ended up, and I, have, I do have, for once, a little sympathy for them, because they've almost ended up in an impossible position, because they had to take some action. But given the length of time, given the, the questions about what exactly was his status at the time, was he a professional cricketer? Was he a second-11 cricketer? I think that's why they've just gone for the kind of holding approach at the moment because it's almost like huge jurisdiction does it fall under which all say a little bit kind of um technical I guess mm. but what is basically a series of really unpleasant tweets and I suppose the bottom line is they've come out now so it's got to be the fact that they've come out now and they've been put into the public domain I think mm. they had to be dealt with and they had to take action um I think a suspension investigation is probably about the right approach at the moment until so they find out more about, you know, the the, the background to this, and what he was, at, you know, who he was actually playing for and so on. Um, but I think really the most positive thing that could be done is that basically he spends time working with all the communities that were the target of these tweets and just in a cricketing way and uses what is clearly his skills, his knowledge, his ability, and uses it in a positive way. Because he can't unsay the things that he said, clearly. So what's he going to do? I'd say that by spending, putting his own time and effort into building positive links with the communities that he's insulted uh, would be would be the way forward. I think on the wider kind of cricketing issues, that's really hard, isn't it? Because there, there's clearly that. Like, for example, Joe speaking after the match, being interviewed, he was clearly really upset. I mean, he did really, I genuinely, he just would, would see these. He'd be as appalled as everybody else, basically, by these comments. But clearly there are people within cricket as an industry who wouldn't have been as appalled, potentially, and who kind of might be thinking, well, I everyone starts back up tracking through mine. Um, so I think it's a question of the ECB that clearly the education programs that they're doing the awareness programs they're doing it's not enough it's not sufficient and brings us back to that full circle that you know putting a shirt on and standing on the edge of the square at lords doesn't unfortunately say anything unless you back it up with actions
2: yeah spot on and well said and i think on on the joe root thing the way gareth southgate's been dealing with the booing of the knee it, it has i think the way roots dealt with this with with what seems like genuine um sadness and anger that this is happening and that he wants this stopped it is a good thing for England but the, the ECB are finding a lot of fires at the minute which is potentially why they've gone for this route with Robinson but as I mentioned the Craig Overson thing who's, gonna, who's probably going to come in and replace him who got a level one misdemeanor for, for racially abusing a player on a cricket field in 2017 that he's coming in they've got these overhanging cases with other players and other umpires for me the ECB aren't doing enough are they? And it's it's an incredibly strange atmosphere around the England team at the minute. Um, a group of quite likeable guys, I think we said this a few podcasts ago, but the general system doesn't seem to be working at the minute. Um, and it's unfortunate. It's just annoying. It's just sad. And it's, it kind of ruined the test match for me. I don't know if, if you boys agree, but um, at the end of day one, there was just a bit of a sour taste in everybody's mouth and, and the cricket was kind of hard to enjoy.
0: Well, just with 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 Craig Overson, I mean, obviously he's, he's denied that he made the comments, and at the time he was found guilty by the ECB. So I guess that that in terms of the next match and that being brought up, that I'm sure there will be a focus on it. Um, I suppose the difference in the ECB's point of view to say that, that that is the difference they would say is that that was dealt with at the time we went through our disciplinary procedures, and at the time he was a professional player and it was dealt with. Um, so it'll be, it will may be maybe interesting is the wrong word, but I will be kind of the reaction and the press kind of probing around this. Um, if he's selected for the second test, will be interesting there to see because it's obviously it's an, an easy jump to make from the Robinson to the Overton one to see what you know the press make of this.
3: Yeah and just for for listeners who might not know about Craig Overton so he was accused and I think as you said found guilty of telling an opposition player who wasn't white to go home um, pretty much when he was on the field and what's particularly um, I mean frustrating um, about this is that he was asked in a wizard interview a pretty recent one um, about this about what happened and he had already he had throughout the case denied saying it um, despite opposition players and I think an opposition player and I think the umpire overhearing it um, if I'm correct in that so because he had denied it he continued to deny, deny it and in the interview he said I don't think I said it which is never a particularly good case uh you know never a good defense but what was even more I think um worrying or concerning about this interview is that he used the classic excuse that he was friends with players who weren't white in the Somerset team yeah
2: Incredibly, incredibly Which strange responses, weren't they?
3: Had a proper kind of UKIP debate feel to it, where mm-hmm. you give them, you tell them, oh, we've got this list of racist things you've said, and they say, they reply, oh, no, I've got a black friend, yeah, or you, you know, my 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 friend's married to someone who's not white. Like the the, the way he said it for me shown that the there probably wasn't any education. I'm mean, I'm assuming this here, um, yeah. education. After that charge, you know, he had this charge, he was suspended for a day or two. Doesn't, I'm not not saying he is now a racist, that's not what I'm saying, but it it didn't sound like those were the comments of someone who's attuned to the issues of not being white in the UK and, you know, obviously across the world. Didn't really have that sensitivity or understanding from his Mm -hmm. response, which concerned me a great deal.
2: Such, such a good point, Glenn. I think that's, that's something that needs to be spoke about this week if he is playing, because I think the spotlight does need to continue to be shone on this, because the the accusation and, and as you said to him it has gone through the process of the ecb so if he does play it's fine they've done their proceedings but this was 2017 you know we're four years on now and I'm sorry, i don't want to repeat your point glenn but yeah he's, he's shown very little remorse and mm-hmm. if he had been educated he wouldn't be saying these things because he Absolutely. would understand what he said was wrong and just because you have uh, an ethnic minority friend doesn't doesn't mean you can't be racist um because you're marrying a woman doesn't, you can't be sexist you know it's he would have been educated. And that's where I think, whereas Ollie Robinson's response showed more remorse, he did read it out from, um, you know, a word document that probably printed out for him by the ECB media men and women. And even though there felt like more remorse there, it still didn't feel like Robinson yet. If you know what I mean, he needs to say this off his own back. And this is where I want to see the ECB doing something is nothing like this ever cropping up again for Robinson players off their own back understanding and acknowledging these things um doing this less of this performative wearing shirts and linking arms stuff and actually sounding and feeling educated about the matters at hand
3: yeah just one more point dan it just just came to me it feels like almost as if floodgates are about to open so obviously we've we've, we've overtook is kind of a separate thing as, as Tim yeah. said, it's been kind of in it's been de- it's been dealt with in quotation marks mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. But the Robinson thing kind of came out of the blue again, just before we went on air. Another member of the team, whoever it is, has said something when they were younger. I mean, there's a there has got to be more, as we've just mentioned, there's got to be more people saying these horrendous things. And B, here's kind of my question to you, Dan. What what happens if they find some more tweets or something from Robinson from slightly closer to now, as in maybe two or three years when he was 21, 22? I don't think there was a magic button that he turned Mm -hmm. 20 and he was no longer obnoxious and sexist and racist <laughs> I mean I wouldn't be surprised I'd almost be more surprised if they didn't find something else more recent what do they do then because the age as you've said quite yeah. rightly the, the age isn't an
0: excuse
2: well that's the thing and the age thing seems to be cropping up this debate I and mean, as we've already mentioned it, it's the rebuttals from a lot of people um, and it, and these tweets only come into light now Robinson's only going only saying now I'm going to get educated I'm going to do X Y and Z and these tweets were what eight eight years ago am I right in saying that so one has to presume until the evening of the first day at Lords, Robinson hadn't changed and those those were his views. We have to presume that, right, if we're presuming everything else. So it's incredibly worrying. And I want to finish because we do need to talk about the cricket at some point on the fact that the, the Culture Secretary here in the UK, Oliver Dowden, and Boris Johnson have now got stuck into this debate, which is a worrying sign, um, I think, for Robinson. This is the one place I have a bit of sympathy for him in so much as he's getting dragged into a little bit of a culture war here. And in the climate of booing the knee in the football and all that's going on racially in the UK at the minute, it's a little bit worrying to see um, our ministers come in and say the ECB gone too far with this. Um, I don't know what they mean by that, but that was what Oliver Downs said today. The ECB gone too far with Robinson's suspension. Boris Johnson supported that, um, got quite a few of his facts wrong in his his little little piece to camera. And it's just a bit worrying, isn't it, boys, where where this is going? um and as you said then this is this feels like the start of something um even more so with the sort of breaking news and wisdom today is 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 monday the 7th um that another player has been found to have tweeted so it, it's it's a worrying time isn't
3: it yeah absolutely and as you we kind of mentioned just before we went on air you're gonna see you know um robinson politicized especially by clearly by the government as you know as as almost in a way his punishment might be seen as this overly wokeness um exactly. uh, response to it which is obviously complete nonsense and i don't imagine I, robinson's probably got enough on his mind that he doesn't want to be this kind of political football and you know he has said some terrible things and that's one thing but that doesn't mean that he should be used by the government <laughs> when he to my knowledge has has as no has no say over that so yeah it 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 has an issue and you kind of touched on it again fan uh, listeners might not know that England um the football team the soccer team played two friendlies um at the Riverside in Middlesbrough this week and, and at the start of both games a selection of fans booed the players um as they were kneeling and it clearly had a distressing response I think um I think a couple of the players who who aren't white uh you could see on there that they were visibly upset by that as as they should be um and so, so you know that that's been in the, that's been in, the, in the, the British media discourse this week as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the bottom line is for all these. This is the, probably our point, to be honest. Like, with the, for all the kneeling, for all the Lincoln arms, for the posters and slogans, nothing really substantially is changing. And that really is, you know, FA, um, ECB really need to be thinking, you know, even maybe a cross sport strategy um, against this. And what the UK government is doing is not helping that at all with with their outburst today.
0: If if you've got the this- If you think of everything we've talked about, um, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and then the Prime Minister turns around along with his Culture Minister and basically condoning the behaviour completely, then how does, you know, is this change which is perhaps needed at a societal level, how does that happen with that, if that's that's the lead you got? Um, So it almost gives me sympathy for the ECB again, in a way that they're trying to do the right thing not always achieving it, but I think there is a genuine desire to do the right thing, not saying they're achieving it, and then they've got this from on high, knowing that last summer, uh, Dowden was instrumental in getting the Test Match Summer on, because he allowed them to play Test Matches in the bubble, he's allowed them to have the, as in personally, the department, the government, have allowed Edgbaston to be a Test Event next week and have a very much bigger crowd, so knowing that he's got a fair bit of leverage, potentially, if he chose to use it, it's, it's just quite threatening, I feel, um, and totally unhelpful.
3: And, and just one more thing, and it, it probably goes beyond the scope of this podcast because you do need to get onto the cricket. But <laughs> it's, it, it, it has been interesting to see government intervention for good and bad in sports because... With the Super League, which we obviously saw was a disaster for football, the government, despite despite being a conservative government, was was quite clear that they did oppose that. And allegedly that may have had an impact on on its quick rise and collapse over about 48 hours as a concept, the Super League. And now you're seeing the flip side of that where you're seeing government intervention, which probably all three of us would argue in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, probably beyond the scope of this, but something maybe to, to, to write about um, in the future would be the, the changing role, especially in the last couple of months of government intervention in
2: sports. It's pretty interesting. Sounds like a nice dissertation topic to me, <laughs> then, I think. <laughs> but listen, yeah, I, I think we're, we're very keen as a podcast on doing a few specials, aren't we, on sort of wider yes. issues of cricket and in sport. So this is definitely something for that. And as I said at the top of this little conversation, there is a lot of good journalism out there right now tackling this issue. We are three white dudes giving our, our, our piece here, but we want to acknowledge that. Um, that piece and wisdom by Taha Hashim with overton was spectacular and i sort of sparked a lot of this debate prior to even the robinson thing coming out so we'll link that um on our twitter which is at rainstock pod by the way i never i never promote our own twitter again and <laughs> i expect us to be having loads of followers so there you go uh, we'll tweet the episode out there as well right cricket cricket happened this week boys let's get stuck into it um as i said at the top of the pod a drawn test match um we lost a day to rain, unfortunately. There would have been a result otherwise. Uh, I'll quickly run through the scorecard. New Zealand, 378 all out. Uh, obviously, Devon Conway, the highlight of that innings. 200 um, run out uh, by Ollie Pope, the last ball of their innings. England's response, 275 all out. Again, a wonderful 100 from an opener. This time, Rory Burns for England. New Zealand dashed 169 for six in their second innings. And Kane Williamson dangled the carrot. No one thought it was going to happen, but there was an early lunch taken on day five because a bit of rain around and out came New Zealand in their whites. It's everybody's excitement, mine included. I was doing nothing on Sunday. I was very excited to sit and watch it. And England did that. They did 170 for three off 70 overs. Dom Sibley, 60 off 207 balls. Uh, the top score of that innings. Now, You may have told by the tone of my voice I was quite frustrated by what happened on Sunday. However, I am going to be in defence of Joe Root here and his decision making. I'll let you two boys come on to it and we'll see where we all stand on it. But despite the anger from England cricket fans and cricket Twitter in particular, who from my money don't deserve test cricket the way they were getting angry on Sunday, they don't deserve the art of this sport. um, We're very frustrated in in that, uh, was it 275? Well, no, two, excuse me, 273 off 70 odd overs. I think it was 75. The run rate just a smidge over three and a half. That's what Williamson offered up to England, and it felt a very generous declaration um, from the New Zealand captain. But you don't, you don't have to go for it. There's nothing in the rules that says, oh, this is quite generous, therefore you have to do it. Joe Root clearly not trusting his batting lineup, and who would at the minute uh, suggested, you know what, I don't want to lose this Test match. Um, I I don't want to to knock the the confidence of the team and they shut up shop and Dom Sibley is a man to shut up shop by the way we can come on to him so yeah I'm in defense of Joe Root and the decision he made and the team made on day five Glenn agree or disagree what did you what did you reckon
3: no I I hope him uh has a different opinion because I'm going to be boring I completely agree with you um so from what I could gather from you know the BBC live text which I always enjoy always enjoy reading with the game and from Twitter it seemed to be maybe a 60 40 split 60 people wanting England to attack 40% as you said Dan um saying actually this is test cricket there's different ways to approach it i think the declaration was a was a bit of a wolf in sheep's clothing i think i think it was very savvy um from the new zealand captain who struggled with the bat we'll get onto player performances in a moment but very interesting i thought it was very clever that was a a great idea um from Williamson to dangle the carrot basically to say listen give it a go we want you to try and so i've actually i've pulled out a, a tweet which i think summed it up perfectly this basically encapsulates what i would have said anyway so will mcpherson who i think is the uh, standards cricket correspondent his tweet said england's batting order contains five men under 25 one just one averaging more than 34 Four of them on a pair and is missing its two best attackers. And by that, I think he means Stokes and Butler. What they should have done, he said, is simply breeze with tongue in cheek, breeze their way to a total of 273 and 75 overs against the top team who have dominated them since day one. I couldn't agree more with this. And I said that's, this. Um, sorry, yeah, that's
2: what's what, that's what swayed me. I saw that tweet. And I, I initially was angry, like I said, because I lost a potentially exciting Sunday afternoon. Oh, God. You know, in the grand scheme of things, who cares about how my afternoon goes? After reading that, I was like, yeah, th- this this is this made sense. And I, I like the way you span that Glenn, in Williamson's favor of how he saw England's middle order. He saw Dan Lawrence's waft outside the off stump. He saw Zach Crawley do the same thing and thought, hold on if I actually want to win this game, I'm going to have to declare. It's not, it's not asking England to go and win it. It's, it's, we want to win this.
3: I couldn't agree more. And what's interesting, I think Tim and I mentioned this during the game when we were texting is that had Butler and Stokes been in that 11, had this been England's best 11, arguably, they probably wouldn't. Why on earth would New Zealand?
2: Not even, they wouldn't even tempted it, mate. They'd, they'd no. have had, they'd have had 50, 45 overs at us because, because Stokes and Butler would have, would have done that ultimately, wouldn't they? Um. So yeah, I think you're both spot on. Tim, are you going to agree with us or are you going to play Devil's Advocate for this one? It was your <laughs> Sunday afternoon ruined?
0: Yeah. Well, I played Devil's Advocate. Um, five years ago, when New Zealand played at Lords and um, England had been a bit, kind of, had been, funnily enough, had been getting a little bit of um, a reputation of being a particular sort of a dull kind of test team and they were doing okay but they were quite dull as New Zealand under McCullum, Under McCullum had just approached test cricket full throttle and he was... Go, you know, was going for every match, and it ended up being you know one of the most exciting Test matches um, you could ever go to. And New Zealand's positive attacking cricket, and England met it in that match. Cook got his first century for ages. We saw Ben Stokes get a century of, I don't know how many balls, but it wasn't very many.
2: Ninety-two.
0: Ninety-two, yeah. And it was you know one of the finest Test matches you, know, you could see. Now, to be fair. England had a really good, strong team that day with explosive batters, um, but they kind of matched New Zealand toe for toe. And it was just a brilliant spectacle. So it, I, I just felt disappointed at the end of it. I understood the pragmatic approach. And I understood Root's comments. But what I found really, I guess, disappointing was that at no point did they even, even appear to have a go at it. And I do understand that probably, you know, if you've got Sibley and Burns, you two kind of, make, with, with your most experienced batsmen, you just haven't got that kind of explosiveness that you've got. And, um, you know, a you know, players that could have been playing as well as Stokes and Butler, you could have had Moeen Alley, who I've seen scored fantastically centuries for England. Chris Wopes, who's scored centuries for England really quickly. Um, but even so, I felt they could have just, because at the end of it, at no point did they put any pressure on New Zealand. You know, even if they'd gone for it, Um, I think, you know, because you have seen Gloucestershire this season do this a couple of times in the county championship, where they have appeared to be nirdling along and the match is subsiding, but they've paced it. So in the last 20 overs, they've got wickets in hand, they really have a go. Now, admittedly, there's a fair chance it wouldn't come off, but I think they could. Could have played it, paced it a bit differently just to give themselves a little bit of a chance and put themselves in a position to start having a go and then, okay, lost two or three wickets quickly, maybe then you pull back, maybe then you kind of defend. Because actually, funnily enough, the England lower order, you know, Anderson, Robinson, proved himself to be a careful batsman on the day. Broad has actually got, you know, is, is improved again as a batsman having had a complete you know, meltdown, basically. Um, I think if, it could have shut up shop for the last twenty overs if they needed to, or they yeah. could have gone to the
2: set of base. That's where that's where I disagree with this, is is the whole shut up shop thing. Like you, you saw us try and shut up shop. Yeah. Well not shut up shop. You saw <laughs> us trying to back competently in the first innings, didn't you? That that's that's where and I, I see where you're coming from and a lot of the commentators and tweeters out in the world were saying they got through the first 15 15-20, At least like try and make it look like you're trying, you know, play something resembling an attacking shot. And I get that, but if they'd gone, if New Zealand gone bang, 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 and all of a sudden it's it's Lawrence and Pope who have faced a few, and there's 30 overs left, and Wagner and Sally are both swinging the ball, I think we would lost the Test match.
0: Yeah, I think I think that was that was the worry. Okay, that's what I, that's why I understand it. However, by not going for it, basically, and it, it's a bit of a it, it was a clever by Williamson because he's not Brendan McCullum, he's much more kind of calculating about it. He's a much calmer personality. <laughs> bennie the yeah 250 off a of 50 off you go um <laughs> but i think the trouble is is that it's sending that message to the batsman we've no confidence in you we don't think you're capable of doing this um, yeah
2: but no, i think but i think surely james Bracey knows that uh, he knows joe root can't trust him to make a test knock he's got a, yeah. a four ball duck under his belt
0: no but yeah there's that's it but if they said look we're going to give it a go and let's just say it had come off. Imagine yeah. what that would have done for all the team's confidence. That and to be, be honest, if they'd gone for it and then, you know, been all bowled out for 250, we'd be just saying, well, what's that's one of the, that's another great Test match for this for this year. You know, we'll remember this one along with the Indian right. and ones. As it is, we're kind of forgotten this by the time the next one starts.
3: They're just, they're, they're, I mean, there's a lot to break down. Just look at the scorecard, you know, uh, and just, just the collapse, basically, of England's, England's middle order, Lawrence 0, Bracey 0, Robinson coming through with an excellent 42, then Wood 0, um, along with Pope's Pope and Crawley's inconsistencies um, in their test career so far. I, I can see both sides. And what a, an interesting perspective I thought of, I think it was yesterday when I was just like pondering this, was if I was Lawrence or Bracey, Would I want to stay on that zero and have zero and nothing, no second innings? Or would I prefer zero? Give it a crack. Your captain backs you. Of course you'd want the latter. Of course you would. But at the same time, this this approach is playing sport for the spectators. There's a difference in playing sport for the team. For the Mm -hmm. result you want, playing the Mm -hmm. sport for the sport's sake, or playing what do, obviously, me, you, us three want to watch on TV on a Sunday afternoon. They're different things. And I think it's worth saying England are excellent at Edgbaston. And what this does, yeah, it sounds defensive. It sounds like he didn't trust his batsman. It was and he doesn't. But Root does back England at Edgbaston. I think we've got a cracking chance of winning the
2: next game. And then you've got a series win. Yeah, and it's it's a huge summer coming up, right? We've got five against five or four against India, and then the Ashes. And if you can say we beat the World Test Championship finalist side, they could win it by you know this time next month. We beat them one nil after a nuggety draw <laughs> at Lords uh, and, and a flamboyant win at Edgbaston. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, oh, I do see what you're saying, Tim, in in a few ways. It did have a flavour of that Test in 2015, didn't it? And we thought we we're going to get it again. Um. But yeah, I I I back root's decision and I think another sort of um piece of ammo from from your side of it Tim was was that there's nothing on the line here. There's no World Test Championship points. Yep. There's there's a few ICC ranking points knocking around, but I think it just says a lot about Joe Root and his team and what he wants to do rather than what we wanted that evening.
0: And I think you think of, in terms of the context if this was the first test of the India series and no, I wouldn't be expecting England to do anything other than take the draw in the first match of a five-match series because there's a long way at that point. There'd be a long way to go, and you really wouldn't want to kind of give you a opposition advantage when they're, they're such a strong team. So, yeah, I think I think it's a shame, but yeah. I, it's I just, that's that. all it
2: is, though, isn't it? It's just it's just a shame. And if we would if a hundred and what were we? 150 for six second innings we'd have been offered a draw there and then we'd have taken it i think it's just because williamson very astute as he said dangled that little carrot there didn't he
3: yeah i did see one thing uh, one funny thing on the bbc live text which was uh an expat uh british guy living on the west coast he'd cleared out his he cleared out his day and he's looking <laughs> forward to teaching his american friends about cricket and this is the day they served up for him oh, and i I, that day. I know and i've done i've done i've done, i've tried i've tried with some t20 i've tried with test and yeah, you know, in a different world well, that could have been me, and you would have just been sat there, like, how on earth do you explain this to someone? You're like, this is boring. I mean, I this was this was genuinely the first morning with the time difference. It's been it's been horrible, unfortunately, with these test matches um, in Wyoming. It was the first time I had a clear morning. I woke up reasonably early for it, and I'd given up by the end. I didn't watch you, to the end. You should text England. You
2: should you should have got on the live text. <laughs> another angry expat yelling <laughs> from somewhere in the west of America about how terrible the cricket is um here's one i want to just bring up before we get on to um individual performances is is what i just said in that people were discussing about where the world test championship points are on the line do we not think that's progress a good thing people are actually people have acknowledged the world test championship as a thing and are talking about it in larger contexts is that interesting to anybody
3: I think it is. And I actually meant to say earlier, earlier, um, you know, that I think the county championship, the restructuring, how whether it will last forever. I think that was working. We had a really good discussion 100%. about the tables. You, you mentioned, Tim, how there's drama in basically
2: every group. I want to say it is really interesting. Those so like, words often are next to each other, is it? County championship no. and, and drama, not at this stage of the year anyway.
3: No, you know, nine points separating one from four in, in the first group. Excellent. And I think I think the World Test Championships is an inspired idea. I think you want to open Test Cricket up to younger people. This was the obviously the antithesis of this. this. This ending to the game was everything wrong, arguably, with Test Cricket. But at the same time, yeah, I think it's established itself within the cricket vernacular. And I think people are, are, are really enticed by this idea of the best two Test teams playing each other. I love it.
2: Yeah, and I mean that final's a couple of weeks away now, and I'm really excited for it. I can't wait to watch two teams at a neutral venue play Test cricket. When how often does that happen? I think last time I watched that was maybe Australia Pakistan late 2000s when that happened.
3: Yeah, I realised I'll be flying back to the UK on the first day of that tests so it, uh,
2: yeah well that means you'll be back on normal time for the for the, the last four days at least
3: exactly and it's something for quarantine to to, to really save um and i think i think we will be doing a preview pod on that dan before before that absolutely. gets
2: going absolutely stay tuned for that one okay right i think we're enough declaration discourse when was our last declaration discourse was, was that in the india australia series we definitely had declaration discourse before now um okay well let's get that out of the way and let's talk about some individual performances um, I want to start more positively. It's been quite a negative podcast. So let's start on the up here. Um, from both teams, this was an exhibition of seam bowling. Um, it was a seam friendly. Well, it wasn't a seam friendly, but you know, it wasn't was a spinner's pitch by any means. But I thought all four seamers, maybe Bayern de Grandam, who just sort of inquires on a length at a certain pace, I thought they were all fantastic, four from each side. Um, and despite Broad and Anderson's figures not looking that great, That spell, I think, at the top of New Zealand's second innings was spectacular. Um, Robinson was brilliant with the ball. And Wood, for me, was, was, don't say surprisingly good, just because I haven't seen him bowl that well in England for a long time, if if ever, I don't think. And watching him pitch it up and swing it like that at that speed was spectacular. So from England and New Zealand's perspective, this was an excellent bowling test match.
3: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I know you're you quick to dismiss De Grandhomme because he doesn't really offer entertaining cricket, but just looking at the stats in England's first innings, he had the best economy. He bowled 15 overs for only 24 runs with an economy oh, he's
2: of 1.6. Le- uh, I, I was just talking about him because he's an all-rounder. I'm talking this the out-and-out seamers were awesome, but yeah, De Gronholm was awesome as well. If they can get him firing for the World Test Championship final, the way he can bat at six or seven wherever he is and the way he can just hold an end like... Um, it's like he's physically holding the end. He's that bigger guy. He can physically hold the pavilion on his shoulders and go right. No one's getting past this. Um, <laughs> he's
3: just the metronome. Um, and that's really interesting. Another thing to, with this with this discourse, Dan, is that Trent Bolt, uh, as of an hour ago, seems set to actually be coming into yeah. the second test. I mean, what an attack! Bolt, Southey, Jameson, Wagner. I mean, that is. I genuinely said it, and we said it when we were talking about. Um, I think we did, a, um, we watched quite a lot of the Pakistan tour um, quite a while ago. But, um, quite I think it was,
2: yeah, ago. Christmas time last year. We, we, I think it was us three, did, did a pod on New Zealand, Pakistan. Um, and that's why I was going to come to Jameson, actually. I thought, I was so excited to watch him bowl in the UK. Exactly, actually, and he, exactly he delivered, that. didn't he? He was awesome.
3: He did. Um, yeah, I mean, Southie, six wickets in that first, uh, in the England first innings was just fantastic um and then yeah looking at the second innings the wickets were, were were slightly scarcer for for new zealand um i thought they actually even though england were shutting up shop i was hoping for the game that new zealand might actually get a couple more to even make it just even defensively interesting coming towards the yeah, end but,
2: from, the, from the other end of the spectrum exactly. of the decoration actually new zealand pushing the win but again um, the reason we're chatting about these bowlers is why i think it was a good draw still i'm gonna i'm gonna sorry i thought i knew I thought we'd stop declaration discourse. Come back to it very briefly and say this is why it was a good draw. Um. Anyway, yeah, good bowling from everybody, and and no spinner. I, we didn't pick a spinner, did we, Glenn, In our preview, we agreed. I wanted to, but you persuaded me otherwise i think i think we left leech out um
3: which is which is interesting as as we we saw just before coming on air there was quite a flurry of news the hour before we got on air but um england were were docked 40 percent of their their match fees for coming just two overs um under the required rate which is why they have hustled they they've brought best into the squad and they've what appears to be a statement of intent for having Leach into the into the next yeah. one um What what do you I'm really intrigued by this. What do you both think? Because this this came up. It was basically Robinson declaration and overrate with the the big themes on Twitter this week. I could not care less about overrate if I try. Who cares we see and i saw a great tweet someone said you know i the one thing i don't ask for after seven hours of test cricket while watching it is more test cricket <laughs> 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 it's it's tongue in cheek but it is not a bad point do either of you have strong feelings i think 40 percent is ludicrous i think that's that's just theft <laughs> what, what what do you both think
0: <laughs> theft that's class. to go to go full circle um what kind of racist insult would you have to hold an opposition player to get a 40% deduction in your match free? Yeah. On an instant basis, like not with any, you know, that's it. You've lost 40% of your match free, what you said. You would
2: have to, you'd have to to say quite a lot, I think at the rate the ECB are going.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah. I mean, uh, you know overs have been stolen from the public in oh, nonsense. oh
2: don't start nonsense. me on that the, the, the paying public uh, are coming here and they're oh. desperate for seven more overs of joe root Jeez yeah. help us
0: out i think i think um, and you know i think think back to the west indies um with their four fast bowlers going the whole time you know that they weren't they weren't particularly rapid in actually getting through their overs. However, you might say that watching Malcolm Marshall, Michael Holding, Joel Garner, and Andy Roberts was a fair trade-off for missing two or three overs off the
2: ninety-eight. Well, I think that that's a fair comparison in this test match. Perhaps that's a bit dramatic, but watching the likes of Jameson, Southey, Anderson Broad go about their work, much better than watching Don Best chuck a few half volleys and full tosses in. So yeah, I hate I am with you, Glenn. I think we're we'll all in agree on that. I hate I, I understand it to an extent in this test match because we were short of time. But let's say we didn't have that washed out day three, um, we'd have had a result in this test match. So what does it matter? Uh, and when they're saying, "Oh, England missed, England missed this session by two overs," I, ju- I just—it's the Sky commentators getting right, get it right b in their bonnet about it. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it.
3: It's like playing, you know, Michael Vaughan gammon bingo. It's like, what's the the next thing he's going to get upset about? It's just ridiculous.
0: I think think the main reason that the commentators do is because the commentators go every day. They're paid by the over. Yeah. They're aware of it. Most people, you know, most people will go to a day of test cricket and they're happy to go. They get there early. They might see the players warming up. When it gets to half six, quarter seven, they're happy to either go home or go on to the pub. They're not, you know, so... And to be honest, I've seen, you know, I've seen some, lords. I've seen some great finishes over the years, whether it's gone on to seven, half seven, and that's great. And I've seen matches, the ones that finish around the half six, usually it finishes. And to be honest, the frustration, the only frustration you ever have is if it rains and there's no play, and then you get really fed up. Other than that, if they're playing, yeah, I'm not
2: fussed about two or three overs. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're all in agreement on that, and then we're all angry at it, and then 40% of the match fee—it's—it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, yeah, some big things came out of this Test match, didn't they? It was all quite—it was all quite busy, wasn't it? We think we're doing well to keep on top of it all. Um, let's chat about a few of the batting performances um, in the Test match. Devon Conway, outrageously good. And I mean, we—congratulations, Somerset, by the way, for what you've got coming your way um, in a few weeks' time. But we saw a flavour of him in, in the white ball stuff when they played Australia in February time, February March. And I just can't believe how well he translated his form or however the way he bats into Test cricket into Lords Day One and just offer up a couple of playing misses in the first 20 balls as every left-handed opener would do, and then just look so assured for his entire 200, only to get run out as they were chasing a few extra runs. I thought it was awesome. It was, it was a, a spectacle to watch
3: he was brilliant i read a really good profile which we, we can link it into the into the tweets of him and how he basically you know he's, he's he's grew up in south africa was playing was playing great cricket in south africa and was just struggling to make the first team he'd come in for a couple of games for his equivalent of county in south africa he wouldn't play brilliantly he'd come out he made the pretty bold decision um he basically said he was discussing it with his partner um and they were talking about well what's the best way to progress his career and he he, he said to he said to them he was like well i think it's new zealand and They backed him in a heartbeat, which was which was great. And they basically just decamped New Zealand and his his domestic stats are just ludicrous. Like he has topped topped run scoring charts across formats for for quite a sustained period of time. And the fact he's one of those players where on paper he's going to be brilliant and you're just waiting for a weird LBW or for it to not go quite right for him. The only reason he got out is he almost he would have carried his bat if he had been supported yeah. by other people. the the score the the second highest score was Nichols and they had a lovely partnership. I watched a bit of that and that was 61. So the next person was almost 140 runs below him in the scoring. I mean, he was absolutely ridiculous and you know it was class from from start to finish.
2: The way the way he went to 100 and then 200 for me, he was class. The sort of the swashbuckling flick off the pads for four for a 100 Brilliant. lords the balls to do that and then okay it was a top edgy six but it was a six to get to 200 again at lords first test match for your country well your adopted country that's fine how many how many players are south africa willing to let go by the way you, you could make a pretty cracking test 11 i think of like former should have been south africans
3: no, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, he batted for 578 minutes on his debut at your Lords. I mean, that is such a sustained... Almost get through the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy in that time, the extended <laughs> edition, and he's just out there
2: batting.
1: He's well, just no, doing his thing.
2: Is that your point that's of reference it. for everything,
3: Glenn? <laughs> well,
0: well, to be fair, was filmed in New Zealand?
2: <laughs> yeah, good. Good bit of symmetry there.
0: I think with Conway as well, it's that thing is actually um, interesting, isn't it? He's come in, making his debut, um, and you can say to James Bracey who's like a young up-and-coming player he's a really well for Gloucestershire but hasn't you know he's played a number of first-class matches but the volume of cricket that Devon Conway had played across different teams, franchises, countries the experience he brought to it and the fact that basically he's taken his family halfway across the world to forge a new career and make the very, make make you know basically to play international cricket and make it a success that it kind of, kind of shows doesn't it that what he's, what he's had to do to get there that he wasn't going to let it go when the opportunity came up that of course another day he comes in and he gets a much lower score but he was certainly you know he was going to make the absolute most of that opportunity um, because he's had to really fight to get there really he' really had to battle his way through. I and mean, it's just an interesting contrast, perhaps I'm being a bit unfair, perhaps, to some players who play for England, who've kind of gone through all the age groups for England, have gone through the age groups for their counties, and have kind of maybe, in a way, never kind of had to find themselves in quite that situation that he did, where it's like, if I don't emigrate to a different country, yeah. I'm just not going to get my chance. I, um,
2: think, I think there's a point there, though, Tim, because how old's Conway? He's, he's north of 27, isn't he? 29, yeah. maybe? He's he's you know fairly old in in sporting debutant terms, and with England it's always these nineteen twenty year olds who have, as you've put there correctly, I think, just come through the system per se and don't really have the the grit and determination to do what Conway did.
0: And I think it's that whole you know it's it's, it's, it's it is hard because the whole kind of England lines for some players that's really been a really good natural progression over the years. That's worked really well. I think for others, it's maybe just given them a kind of a fairly gentle glide path into international cricket, which, you know, potentially other players haven't had. And if you think about the South African link, of course, Neil Wagner is the same, really. He's he's did the same thing. And goodness me, like every single test match he plays. I mean, the fact in that series we're talking about um, against Pakistan, he played a match with two broken toes yeah i mean that
2: guy's guy's a hero i love his i love his whole attitude to the game and the way he plays cricket i think that came across even in this in this sort of slightly damp of a test match let alone a a classic and and a good test match that was in pakistan um there was some symmetry to the england first innings as well in so much as rory burns nearly carried his bat and there were some great stats coming from the tms team as there always are but i think this was only the like third time in test history that uh, opener bat with a number 11 in consecutive innings, um, something like that. But uh, I'm, I'm also gutted Zach's not here today. As I said, he's on holiday, but he wanted Burns out, didn't he, Glenn? He was having none of Rory Burns in our team and a gritty, sometimes ugly, sometimes very pretty, uh, decent size hundred that, that held that whole sham of innings together. Really? I'm really happy to see him in the runs again.
3: Yeah, I think for me, barring some really dramatically bad batting in the next couple of weeks, I I think we should trust uh, Burns and Sibley at, at the top. You know, they got a hundred and a half century to their names, respectively. Um, this game, again, as you said, Dan, don't necessarily play the most aesthetic, beautiful cricket. They're not quite Strauss and Cook, are they? But when all said and done, they're doing a job. And I think it's a really important one. What is of concern? And this is why I, I'm not like, glad that i left him out of my 11 but my initial 11 on the last pod before we kind of talked through it i didn't put crawley in there and yeah. you know i think i think both of you were Well, that i think you were a little bit outraged fair enough but george DeBell, he he wrote his six takeaways for for crick info um, today yesterday always a good piece and he pointed out um that crawley has scored nearly 40 percent 40 percent of his test runs in that one double century and he's now had 22 innings this is a conversation
2: i just this is a conversation i just don't want to have because i just like him so much i think he's the one i think he's the number three for a long time but he is slightly living off that double hundred and I'm, i'm i'm still okay with that you can live off that double hundred why the hell not he was 20 odd double hundred in a home test match it gives you a lot of credit he just gets out in silly ways and isn't quite learning to not do that i think his dismissal in the first innings it's horrible yep um and he as a number 3 batsman for England, you need to be a little bit more assured i still back him just I think he's got the summer in him still to to prove it if he st- if he has a bad summer whether he's on that australia whether on the tour whether he's in that in that first ashes team i can see the struggles there and the, and the struggles well, luckily Stokes and Butler are coming back in because that Pope Lawrence brassy mm-hmm. little little three five six going five six seven. I've got no assurances on. I love Ollie Pope. I want again. I see him as the long term future. But how much credit has he got after that hundred in, in South Africa? A breezy twenty two, and again he's out. I'm just. I'm really not sold on the whole middle order. But we're lucky that Stokes and, and Butler are coming back in, right?
3: No, I couldn't agree more, and I think. Lawrence to me stands out as a quality player. I don't think he quite, at the moment, fits for me in the in the test lineup because we're gonna let's just say he is a specialist batsman. His bowling, from what I've seen, is pretty dreadful. Um, I wouldn't bowl Can him. Can we, we not even have that in the conversation? I know, just get that out. So you've got a <laughs> specialist. <laughs> it was so rough in Sri Lanka. I think he threw down some pies. Um, but if he is there as a specialist batsman, I just he just doesn't offer enough. That will be the place, as you said, Dan, of an all-rounder. Um, and it might be a good time, Dan. I don't know whether you want to go into changes we think England might make yeah, um, as we approach the end of the pod. Um, I guess, Tim, Tim, what are you thinking in terms of players in, players out? Anyone jumping out to you off straight off the bat?
0: Yeah, well, it looks like, does not it? Well, It looks like Leitch is going to be playing by the fact they've called up Don Bess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They were, they were clear that it was a, a COVID book called COVID. He's a COVID concussion substitute. <laughs> so it's like, it's a real endorsement, isn't it? I mean, basically, you yeah. <laughs> know. Um, but having said that, Jack Leach has had, Jack Leach has an awful habit of stuff happening. So, you know, if I was Don Best, I'd be getting warmed up because... Yeah, up. I'd be brave. Jack Absolutely. Leach, is, <laughs> You know, yeah. Um, in a, in a, if you have to predict the next England player to go slugging across the dressing room, you know, Jack will be <laughs> your top. So it looks, it looks like he's coming in because they seem to think that Edgerton offers more for of spin and we've mentioned the overrate, but I think that's I think that's less of a consideration, I think. That's well, they're going,
2: to go, they're going to go bankrupt if they don't keep following their overrate by the sound of it. They'll lose all their pay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think... The, the the plan would be to kind of rotate perhaps wood and stone basically yep. however and then probably to have rotated born of anderson aboard and probably anderson giving him a rest oh, can i
2: um, can i stop you on can i stop you there on anderson really quickly it it, it would be his 161st cap making him the most capped england test player ever wow. would they like to give him that in front of a, a pretty big baston crowd, am I thinking a little bit too sort of emotionally here? And maybe they'll give it him in the first India test. That's that's I just have got him cemented in because of that reason only, which probably isn't a great reason, but I don't know.
0: Well, I, I think I think um, because of Robinson not playing, that I think actually it's probably quite like the Anderson board will play again because actually the next test for England is a while off, isn't it? And they can go rest or play. Yeah. You know they've, they've, they're they not going to be playing one day stuff, you know. The board will play any T20 for Nottingham, I'm sure, not sure. But Anderson won't be playing any kind of T20, so they could both play really, couldn't they? they? They've got to have a you know a really good rest. Um, yeah, and other than that, I think it'll be a fairly kind of similar team, but it might end up being Overton for Robinson, Alden, and Anderson says Bowlers, and then of course, you've got to get. Leach in the team, so yeah, I wonder what they're going to do there because.
2: Well, so the way the way I've got the four seamers in is dropping Dan Lawrence, pushing Bracy up to six, and this is a horribly long tail. But I've, I've been reading today about longer England tails. This might be one of the longest, but Overton in at seven, then Broad, Leach, uh, Stone, and Anderson. That's uh,
3: horrible. That,
2: that, presuming Stone oh. gets, presuming Stones get in, by the way, I'd like to see Wood still play personally, but again, he's slightly injury prone. What what do we think to that then? Having four seamers in a spinner, or would you rather have three seamers in the spinner and play the play the extra batsman?
3: I think this goes down. This brings us back to the uh, to the debate we had in the last podcast, actually, Dan. Without these all-rounders, without Curran, Alley, Stokes, any any
2: more England all-rounders. Wokes Wokes I miss, I miss Wokes he'd be perfect he be for this team right now.
3: The best player honestly barring Stokes of course who's, who's who who is just technically better. Um he would be amazing and it's just such mm-hmm. a shame that the whole he has been ludicrously unlucky um with the way things have gone with England selection, you know. He, he's talked we talked before he's a hero one second doesn't play for a year. But he that kind of player who can literally who has test hundreds like confident ones um coming in at 6 or 7. I'm I'm nervous to drop Lawrence because I just think that is a lot. That really is a lot of tail. But at the same time, it's difficult back, to actually. Backy Batsman,
2: maybe. Jack and Roots go right, lads. Just please. I can't. Because I don't, I don't think you can. With that New Zealand batting lineup, which, which bats deep, I don't think you can have three seamers and Leech. Maybe you can. I don't know. Root Root's bowling was okay by the way in this Lord's test. I don't think it was it was particularly threatening, but the pitch wasn't threatening for spin. But he bowled with enough control to maybe he have him as you could time. go two spinners and, and three teamers. It's a tricky one. I'll, I'll be if I was to put money yeah. on it now, I'd suggest they drop Lawrence.
0: Yeah, and I think um then you may be struggling to remember your first test match, but it was at the <laughs> Oval in 1999 when you were at two and a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and uh, it, it was a, a glorious match where England it was a Sunday morning and England needed sort of 220 were bowled out about 150 and the tail was Giddens, Mullally, Tufnell and there was somebody else and I can't remember who it was but basically there were four players who were all really bad number 11s oh. and after the match England went to the bottom of the test rankings at the time and Nasser is saying got booed on the balcony at the Oval. <laughs> um, but him, him and Tom said after the match they just basically said never again, never again. So that was tough to finish as an England spinner. They found Ashley Charles. Um, it meant somebody, you know, like Simon Jones, who could was a reasonable bat as well as been a good bowler. And they basically made the decision, you know, they might have one number eleven, but that was it. And I think potentially England might try that line up in this match against New Zealand. I don't think they can go into the India match or the India series with that as a, you know, an 8 9 10 11 of Leach, Anderson, Broad and Wood.
2: <laughs> just saying <laughs> it now makes you sort of cringe a little bit, doesn't it? Tremble. I think
0: maybe
2: maybe they give it a go for this one because as Glenn said, we haven't got the all-rounder who's available to play at the minute. So, you know, you're not lo- you're not not you're not trying this as an actual permanent solution. You're just going right how can we get 20 wickets here potentially? I don't know. That's just what I'd go for. Glenn, what what are your final thoughts on the the bottom half of that team?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm still weighing it up. I obviously there's there's a decent case for both. I am I am nervous about not having four seamers um, at Baston when there might be the pitch might be doing quite a lot. Do you really want Leech's first change with a new ball? probably not i would argue that isn't ideal you want four seamers you're in england mm-hmm. i think i think you need the four and if you're bringing leech in as they appear to be to save their bank accounts basically <laughs> um the account the ecb accountant told them you're playing a spinner next week um i think maybe it's l- because to, okay let's just be absolutely brutal here and this is this is not i'm not trying to um be rude about Lawrence too much, but like the fact is I don't necessarily trust him to get many runs anyway. So if anyone is going to drop out of the team and Lawrence, who I don't, again, he's a great player, but I don't know if I back him at test level. If he's the one to drop out, then, then he's the one to drop out. And I think our, our, our our Leach stat um, of what would have been last week and can be this week is that I think
2: Jack Leach averages higher than Kane Williamson in the UK. Is that the correct one, Dan? That is the correct one. We missed that. It might just be at Lords, actually just at Lords, um that Jack Leach averages better with the bat um I had another stat I was going to bring up that I, I was going to call it the Jack Leach stat of the week simply because I think we should just call it that anyway regardless of whether Jack Leach is involved in it or not I think it's just become <laughs> it's a like part like the memorial podcast now. stat <laughs> yeah exactly and whether it's got Jack Leach in or not is is beside the point we'll try and find what that does but this tweet cropped up I think on day three uh, maybe day two Williamson Bold Anderson Williamson LBW Robinson this is the first time in a test match where a player whose last name ends in son is dismissed by two different bowlers whose last name also ends with son. <laughs> uh, I just thought that was whoever was like, well, how do you how do you find out if that's the case or not? There's been like two plus 2000 test matches played. That's that's what
3: the guy who was trying to explain the fifth day to his mates in on the West Coast should have said. He should have livened it up by dropping in that stat.
2: I'm sure it would have transformed their game. <laughs> that would have got California its own cricket team mate if, he, if he, <laughs> given it that one but that that was a good one um just to quickly chat about new zealand because i know we, we, we try to talk about them as much as we can but this is an england podcast to an extent um they'll probably keep it very similar as you say Clem. bolt's probably going to come in and it's whether they even want to play a spinner or not i could see them easily bringing wow. bolt in for yeah, Santner and just yeah. go in all those pacemen because that would be awesome or if they want to specially spin it, if Edgbaston does spin, uh, they've got Ajax Patel in the squad. Um, could they bring in him for Santner, who, who was pretty abject. I thought it whole test match, didn't really bat that well, didn't bowl well. But how do you bring Bolt in? You don't drop Wagner, you don't drop Southey, you don't drop Jameson. So that's why I'm thinking they're not going to play a spinner, period.
0: Yeah, I think... I think there was talk, um, I can't remember, I think again, it was, I can't remember it was, was discussing it, actually made sense to me, that actually there's a fair likelihood of what they will do, bearing in mind that for them, this is a warm-up to the World Test Championship. Southie's had a really good match, he's bowled really well, he's you know, clearly in form, so there's a bit of an argument that you play Trent Bolton to the Southie, give Southie a rest, because the actual World Test Championship is actually more or less followed straight on it's like the following weekend i think really. it's not there's a bit yeah. of a gap it's not much yeah, it is. um so you play trent ball you give southie um a rest you swap the spinner for santner to give him an ex- to give experience and decide that gives you then gives you an option he's played a match and then when you come to look at the wicket at the rose bowl you can kind of decide what you want your lineup to be and it looks like there's a which seems really harsh but it looks like potentially, um, because you want to play Jameson because he hasn't played, you know, he just started playing, so you want him to get as much experience in England as you can. So, potentially, you might get to the, um, depending on the conditions, that if they want to play a spinner, Wagner misses out in the World Test Championship final because he plays Southie, Bolton, Jameson. And if you don't want to play a spinner, if you think, if you think you're going to get away with a bit of Cambridge Jameson (laughs) against India, I just don't really see So, um, I think, I think sadly it looks like you know Rackham plays this match and then sits out in the World Test Championship final in, in there's a fair chance.
2: Was well thought out, Tim. Are you are you in on the New Zealand Selection Committee or something? That was that was like clockwork. You <laughs> just that got was. off their Zoom. Just got
3: off their Zoom. <laughs> no,
0: I just I just no, no, I, I, I just a couple of things I've read, I can't remember where I read them, but I was just kind of piecing it together and thinking about, you know, in a way, this is this is for them a preparation for that, you know, that one match. Actually, mm. resting Santi would make a lot of sense to me. And trying the other spinner because it had Santi in it's like, okay, here's your chance. Yeah, no, that's not worked because can you imagine Santa bowling at the Indian batsman? No, I can't at all. There, <laughs> there was some
3: beemers. He bowled a couple of beamers to Root, like legitimately Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Oh, Wednesday.
2: yeah, he got a warning beamer, I think, as well. It was that high. I think to be fair, he had a cut on his finger or something. His bowling that's finger really split. split. So, Crap injury, isn't it? But it does affect it. So, you know, he'll probably get dropped for injury's sake. But I like that, Tim. I think, yeah, you don't need to play Saladie. He is quite old, in, in, again, in cricketing terms. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what team they bring out at Edge Baston. Hopefully it is a bit more spin friendly. I missed a bit of spin
3: yeah well just one final point that was an excellent excellent summary by tim there i would just add if i was the selectors i would pick my best team and that doesn't include a spinner for new zealand right now i don't think that team includes that we've talked about it in depth on this podcast over previous months that new zealand you know they're, they're, they're the number one test team and they deserve to be there and i really like watching them but they're going to come undone in tours of the subcontinent if they can't if they can't put together a quality spinner i really hope they play i think we're thinking patel is, is the one that might come in
2: yeah he's next... so he's he's a specialist spinner um but rachim ravindra has traveled as well he's more of an all-rounder who bowls a bit of spin though so i think if they brought him in it would be the same case with santner in that santner averages 40 odd with the ball and isn't great that, that great with the bat i, I think ravindra a debutant might be that so bring in your specialist spinner for this oh. test if, if if they want to um there's been a bumper episode boys we should wrap up there i think it's uh a lot has been covered um and i've it's got quite warm in my room now how is it in your sweat box glenn you know 35 degrees plus yeah i should be charging for this it should be the laramie sauna it's,
3: get, it's getting pretty
2: rough
0: brilliant well
2: thank you very much for joining us boys that was an excellent podcast um the second test starts on thursday at edge baston a test event so i think 17,000 plus in there um, which will be awesome to watch Um, we're very excited for that we'll be back for a review of that test at the start of next week thank you very much for listening enjoy the cricket